0: Welcome to the American Thoracic Society Sleep and Respiratory Neurobiology Podcast Series on Pediatric PAP Adherence. This is the fourth podcast in the series. Today, we'll discuss the role of telehealth and remote tracking programs to improve pediatric path adherence. This podcast includes pediatric pulmonary psychology and sleep specialists nationally, and is an open discussion of our different practices between practitioners and patients. Our panel includes, in no particular order, Dr. Kelly Lee Harford, pediatric psychologist, and Dr. Roberta Liu, pediatric sleep physician at the Emory and Children's Pediatric Institute in Atlanta, Georgia, Dr. Wendy Ward, pediatric psychologist, and Dr. Supriya Jambikar, pediatric pulmonologist at Arkansas Children's in Little Rock, Arkansas, Dr. Allison Clark, pediatric psychologist, and Dr. Stephen Sheldon at Anne and Robert H. Lurie, Children's Hospital of Chicago and the Northwestern University Feinberg School of Medicine. Dr. Daniel Lewin, Pediatric Psychologist and Sleep Specialist at the Sleep Health and Wellness Center in Santa Barbara, California. Miriam Weiss, pediatric nurse practitioner at Children's National in Washington, D.C., Drs. Marnie Nagel and Amy Moores, pediatric sleep psychologist at CHOP Children's Hospital, and I am Dr. Ashana Chin, pediatric pulmonologist and sleep physician at CHOP Children's. I am part of the ATS SRN committee. For everyone's titles, please listen to the introduction in our first podcast. This is a discussion on how different practices nationally tackle utilization of telehealth. For our practices at CHOC Children's, though not replacing in-person visits, telehealth has helped improve patient follow-up and assist with adherence. We have seen an improvement in show rates and PAP utilization. Though we have utilized remote download outside the visit to track select patients, we have not utilized an automated program to track all patients and call back patients. But we're wondering if other programs have and if they have found it beneficial.
1: Yeah, I can speak to sort of the, just doing the treatment and desensitization via telehealth. Um, One thing I've observed is, as you describe, it's a lot easier to do this when they're at home. They have their equipment there, they don't have to carry and lug everything (laughs) to the hospital. But I've noticed in particular with some of the um, adolescent patients where there can be battles with family, um, it's been a really nice opportunity to see them more regularly and to do some of the desensitization practice together, not necessarily for a lengthy visit, but you know, we have a 25 minute appointment and I put on my mask and like maybe make it silly, you know, Um, put on a silly hat or something. And we kind of just have fun doing that together. Um, that we wouldn't necessarily be able to schedule. I mean, I I probably wouldn't have them come in weekly to the hospital for just those really short visits. Um, So it affords a nice opportunity to kind of have more regular visits and check-in.
2: Yes, we've seen that advantage too. Sorry, you, you go.
3: I was just going to say real quickly to add to that, the other really nice thing that we've seen with telehealth is, um, is being able to generalize into their naturalistic environments. And so uh, being able to see their sleeping spaces and problem solve around any barriers to having equipment in convenient places, um, being able to watch how, you know, where they might set it up, how they might um, maintain the equipment and clean the equipment, etc. Um, so that has been also really helpful in identifying some of the barriers that might have been harder to identify when they bring their equipment into the office and are trying to verbally describe what their sleep space looks like at home. And then the other piece is that oftentimes when people would come into clinic, they would often forget to bring their equipment with them. And so that was always challenging to use. Um, some of our standard cl- clinic equipment that wasn't their regular equipment and try to explain how their equipment at home might be different from what we're showing them in clinic if we're using a clinic machine. So that's been really nice because you can have them find the equipment. Sometimes it's, it's harder to identify within the home setting and that gives you also really good information about um, perhaps that's one of the barriers. I think um, definitely I
4: agree um, that being able to kind of have a window into their home um, kind of helps me better understand their social situation, you know, kind of seeing who else is in the home and how chaotic it is or how calm or how attentive. So that kind of gives me an idea of what would be, you know, realistic expectations for the child and family. Um, And then also just seeing where the equipment is placed and, you know, make sure you move the machine to the head of the bed and not at the foot of the bed. That's made all the difference in the world. Um, But I think, um, so I I think having some visits via telehealth is very convenient and a great way to see into the home. But I don't think it can fully replace having the patient coming in person because I can't I, I sometimes we need to physically see how they're applying the mask and see what you know. Sometimes all you need to do is do tighten the strap, the straps, and that makes all the difference. And you can't really do that <laughs> um, with them virtually. So I think a combination of the telehealth and in person um, would really be ideal. And then the you know the remote tracking using the compliance data um is a really great way to um, motivate um, the child who's who's you know at least trying and and kind of showing them their improvement and and able to make those adjustments i think you know physically showing them and and um how they're doing and having that print out will often motivate um our patients um in fact i had a um a a child with down syndrome who's on cpap for years and we could never get him to use it for more than four hours. He would like take it off in the middle of the night and they didn't know why. And then he got the new dream station and he signed up for, I think it's called MyAir or I forgot what it's called, but the patient app. And he is so motivated by getting those texts about how many hours he's using it that now he uses it like nine hours a night, every single night. And his compliance is great. And it's just because of this text that he gets that tells them how he's doing, So I think that remote piece um, can be really, really beneficial.
5: I agree with everything that's been said thus far. I might add a a different additional twist to thinking about uh, telehealth visits. In the early days when we built our tele-visits, we became much less integrated as a team. And I think everybody on this call appreciates the role of the psychology, respiratory care, um, and the fact that there are multiple providers involved in clinics. And if we're all Zooming or or connecting with whatever um, technology we're connecting from different locations at different times, we lose what we gained by having a collaborative team in the same place, seeing the patients at the same time and able to discuss in between. And so I just wanted to mention that one of the things that we have tried to do is have a virtual conference room if we can't all be uh, virtually connected in nearby locations so we can have those conversations. And that, of course, has an impact on process for us, but also has an impact on adherence. So are getting a coordinated treatment plan as opposed to isolated um,
2: treatment recommendations. Yeah, I'm so my glad feeling, you got that out. Yeah, that was yeah. my feeling as well, because, I mean, I would say as, as a whole, telemedicine has been really great for a lot of our patients. Um, Because no one likes driving in Atlanta, anyway, Um, but that's what we love. I think that that was the hardest part of doing telemedicine is I work a lot with our respiratory therapist with these CPAP patients and she just is very creative in ways that I am not. when it comes to equipment, and um, she sometimes will just look at something and just say, oh, well, you know, we could switch out the tech gear with this one and, and put this little stitch in this part right here, and I just don't come up with that, those ideas as well. as She's a seamstress. She just comes up with things, and so um, I, I, I lost that um, during telemedicine, I would say, um, and so I, I do think that having both available really can add a lot. Um, for these families? Because telemedicine, you can see them more frequently for these shorter visits, you know, all the the advantages you said, but there is something to just being able to see the team. Um,
3: One of the things that we did was really try to recreate our team clinic in a a virtual clinic space. And so we have um, a single Zoom that the patients log on to, um, each patient is assigned to a breakout room, which is like their exam room. And then all of the providers are given co-host abilities where we can then pop in and out of patient breakout rooms in a similar way that we would in a clinic room. And then we have additional breakout rooms that are for like smaller room discussions. So if the pulmonologist and the psychologist want to pop into a room to discuss a patient, we can do that. We can all also stay in the main room and um, and coordinate in that way as well. At the same time, we also have a, um, a another HIPAA compliant platform that is allowing us to chat back and forth with one another. So. Because if you're in a breakout room, you can't be chatting with people who are not in your room through the Zoom function. So we added this extra capability to allow us if we happen to be in different breakout rooms with different patients, we can still communicate with one another um, important information as we would if we were in person and grabbing each other in the hallway uh, or actually being in our main provider room, which we can do as well. So. That's, um, that's afforded us to allow the continuation of that um, coordination of care and collaborative nature in coming up with our treatment recommendations. Um, and at times, I agree with everyone where I, ideally, I think a hybrid would be best um, with some patient visits in person and some over telehealth at key points along the treatment process. Awesome.
1: Yeah, I love that idea. I think I may follow up with you to get more information. We've been trying in a similar way, but um, it doesn't still allow the more, you know, collaboration outside of the visits. but we have been working on developing joint telemedicine visits when possible, um, which in some ways actually allows more collaboration than we had before, because a lot of our physicians are at satellite clinics where we don't work together necessarily, so it's allowing us to see some of those patients jointly that we couldn't see together previously. Um, But yes, I certainly think just that being present and being able to talk about cases, um, we're definitely missing that.
5: Depending on your reimbursement model, joint visits are either easy or hard to bill for. Um, But I I love what uh, Dr. Nagel just described, and I think that's a much better approach so that we utilize the new technology in ways that provides benefits,
3: but we don't lose the good things that come from um, interprofessional collaborative care.
0: Some institutions have just done wireless downloads for their patients and called them back and told them, hey, you're not using your PAP outside of the visit. Have you utilized the follow-up outside of the visit or have anything instituted within your programs to do that?
2: Yeah, so I um frequently um will check in with patients like two weeks after our visit. You know, if I ch- if we changed anything, like if the physician changed a pressure or if we changed a mask, something like that, I'll put a reminder to myself to call them to, to pull the download in two weeks. Um and call to tell them what it looks like and if there's any difference. Um we do that fairly regularly.
5: We oh. haven't done that, but a chat. Um, one-way chat. So we're we're not necessarily interacting, but we're doing reminders or things like that, I think could be uh, especially automated um, in some way, could be a really helpful adjunct to what we're doing.
4: And we have found that digital download when the patient's not in clinic and kind of not expecting it. If it doesn't look good, we call them. And we have seen that that resulted in a mask change that Drastically improve compliance, um, or just that the family was so surprised that someone was looking that they jumped on it and and were at least compliant for the next two weeks.
2: Our respiratory therapist many times does that. Looks at downloads and calls them, or uh, even you know she'll schedule appointments within two weeks or four weeks when we've made a change. We're actually trying to work with Epic to try and come up with a, something called Care Companion for CPAP use. So I don't know how that will go, but we are sort of ready to launch it soon. So we're keeping our fingers crossed that it will work well. So it's something like the DA, you know, like the them getting that automated text, something on that line, but integrated with Epic, so that uh, we also get reminders into our system. So. We're sort of excited about that. We'll see if it works, then it's probably going to be rolled out to everybody. To
0: see. This is now the end of this podcast and we would like to thank you for joining us.